James has been speaking to us about drawing near to God. And in James chapter 4, verses 7 to 10, he lists seven characteristics of the person who wants to draw near to God. And we've examined the first five of those, submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God, cleanse your hands, and purify your heart. We come now to the sixth matter that James addresses here in this passage, and this is likely the most complicated and confusing of all the qualities that James speaks about here. Listen to what James tells us in uh, James chapter 4 and verse 9. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, you might say, as you listen to that, that's not the kind of Christian life I want. And others might look at this and look at the words mourning and weeping and gloom and say, well, what's, how's that different from the kind of life that I have right now? James has nothing against joy in the Christian life. In fact, in James chapter 1 and verse 2, he tells us, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. James, in James chapter 1 verse 2, challenges his readers to rejoice in the trials they encounter, not because of the pain and the affliction that they go through, but because the, the testing of their faith perfected them. And while many of us have mastered the art of joyful suffering, what James is showing us here is that what the Christian rejoices in is not the same as what the world rejoices in. And if that's the case for rejoicing, it's also the case for weeping and mourning. And so the challenge for us here as we begin this uh, study of James chapter 4 and verse 9 is to understand what the, what the apostle means when he speaks about being wretched, mourning, and gloomy, and what that has to do with drawing near to God. And so as we begin, let's take a moment and break this down and see what James is telling us and how that applies to deeper intimacy with God. Now, as we begin, notice the words James uses here. Wretched, mourn, weep. Now, let's break these down and examine these words individually to see what they mean and how they apply to our walk with God. The first word is the word wretched or wretched. In the Greek word James uses here literally means to endure hardship, affliction, or distress. Now, remember the context of the book of James. James is writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, James chapter 1 and verse 1. And he writes to Jewish believers who have been dispersed because of persecution. He writes to encourage them to be joyful in their trials. And the believers to whom James writes were familiar with hardships and afflictions and distress. But they weren't the only ones that were suffering at that time. The apostles themselves were suffering persecution. They were being put in prison, stoned and beaten for the cause of the Lord Jesus. Stephen, 
had been become the first martyr and had been stoned for his faith in the Lord Jesus. Before he left them, the Lord Jesus had this to say to his disciples. In John chapter 15, verses 18 to 20, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus made it very clear that anyone who wants to draw near to God and live a godly life will need to be ready to suffer persecution. If they persecuted our Lord, they will also persecute us. In fact, James tells us that friendship with the world is enmity with God. We don't have the time right now to go to Hebrews chapter 11 and look at the great hall of fame of faith and, and the men and women of faith who suffered great hardship for the, for the Lord. But in that passage in James 11, we, we read of men and women who were, who were mocked, who were flogged, who were imprisoned, who were stoned to death, who were sawn in two, who were killed with the sword. Men and women of great faith who endured great trials and persecution for the Lord they, they loved and represented. Jesus, in Luke chapter 14, tells this story about a man who uh, wanted to build a tower. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 14, 28 to 30. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. You see, there's a cost for anything of value in this life. If you want to build a tower, you'll need to consider whether you have what it requires to build it. There's a cost to drawing near to God as well. It's going to cost you the world. It might cost you your friends and loved ones. It might mean affliction and persecution. There will be times of mourning and distress. You might be considered wretched and pitiful in the eyes of this world. Jesus had no place to lay down his head. The apostle Paul describes the lot of the apostles when he said, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. In the world's eyes, these men were wretched and pitiful, but their hearts were filled with hope. Jesus calls us to take up our cross, to follow after him. The picture of a man or woman carrying their cross on the way to their execution is not a glorious one for many, but for those who follow after the Lord, however, it's a picture of great promise. It's a picture of laying down this life 
to obtain something of infinitely greater worth. The question is, are we ready to be wretched? Wretched? Are we ready to take up our cross now to, to obtain our eternal inheritance? Are we ready to suffer now for everlasting glory? Are we ready to let it all go? For the Lord Jesus, will we surrender the world to know the Savior? Will we say, Lord, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. Let them think what they want. Let them see me as wretched and miserable. My heart is filled with the knowledge of Christ, which is of infinite greater value. Let me be wretched in their eyes, for the, for the eyes of the Lord God are upon me, and I know that in his eyes I am his precious child. Notice the second word that James uses here, the word mourn. That Greek word carries with it the sense of lamenting and distress. James doesn't go into detail about this mourning, but we have a clue in the context. In James chapter 4, the apostle has been speaking to the believers about fighting and quarrels that were happening among them. Listen to what he says in, in James 4 verses 1 to 4. What causes quarrels and, and, and fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The picture that James paints is a picture of believers fighting and quarreling over the things of this world. And James is telling them that these things ought not to be. And he reminds them that the love of the world has made them enemies of God. And they were turning their backs on God for the temporary blessings and pleasures of this world. Now, consider the Apostle Paul as he reflects on his own heart and the evil that he saw and the worldliness and the fleshliness that he saw in his own heart. Consider what he says in Romans chapter 7, verses 21 to 24. He says this, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul looked at his own heart and saw how it was so prone to evil, and it grieved him. He calls this this evil that he sees in his heart a body of death. It was like he was carrying a dead horse on his back everywhere he went, and it fouled up the air and weighed heavy upon him. That body of death was his sin nature that kept him from experiencing the nearness to God that he longed for. C consider the words of the psalmist as, as he 
reflects on his relationship with God. Here's what he says in Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Here's a man whose heart longed for God more than a thirsty deer for water. His heart mourned because God was more distant than he wanted. Augustine once said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Does that describe the longing of your heart? Or have you and I become satisfied with lesser things? Does our heart ache for the presence of God? Do we cry out day and night for deeper intimacy with him? Does our heart mourn when it finds itself distracted by lesser things? Is there an ache in our heart that only God can fill? Our hearts will always grieve when he does not fill them. Could it be that the mourning James describes here is a dissatisfaction in lesser or things, a heartache for the very presence and knowledge and power and fellowship with God. Now, closely related to this word mourn is the next word, the word weep. But the Greek word for weep here is a stronger word. It refers to a wailing or agonizing grief. This type of weeping is is not a few tears shed over a sentimental movie. This is the cry of a broken heart. This kind of weeping comes from the very core of our being. And there are few things that touch us at this level of our heart. This is the level of our deepest passions and love. And it was at, it's at this level that we would lay down our lives for those that are in this part of our, our life. At this level, this is where God, the Lord himself, must dwell. It is here at this very core of our soul. That, that he must have first way. This is the throne of our heart where our greatest treasures lie. Listen as, again to the words of the psalmist in Psalm 49. My tears have been my food a day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? The people around this psalmist were saying, where's your God? They, they said this as they mocked his God. They belittled his God and accused his God of powerlessness. They dared to insult and question his God. And his response is tears of weeping day and night, uncontrollable sobbing. The psalmist grieves as people mock his God, but he grieves because God himself is distant to him. But how different the picture in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 where God speaks to the church in Laodicea. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and him with, and eat with him and he with me. And the picture of the church busy with their religious activities and all kinds of traditions and and, and, uh, and spiritual matters, but Christ stands outside knocking, wanting to come in. They do not even notice his 
absence, but they continue with their religious activities. You and I have been to churches where the presence of Christ did not seem to be there. People were busy with their traditions and doctrines and activities, but no evidence of Christ, no evidence of the work of his spirits. Hearts were lulled to sleep. There was no expectation of God's presence, no expectation of his power. No one grieved like the prophet Isaiah when he cried out, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. The voice of the psalmist was not heard. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and root them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters from the hands of foreigners. Where are those who will cry out when the enemy sinks his teeth into our children and who will cry out like the psalmist in Psalm 58, Oh God, break the teeth of their mouths, tear up their fangs of the young lions, O Lord. I can still hear the prayer of a young French Bible school student many, many years ago when I was attending a French Bible school in Quebec, and I can all I can still hear her cry for her unsaved family. The the cry of her heart left an indelible print on my mind as I listened to, to her wailing before God for the lostness of her uh, her loved ones. It was such a rare thing to hear such passion, such grief in the heart of a young person for their family. The question is, what stirs up our passion? What stirs up our anger? What forces us to to our knees in deep agony of heart? Nothing draws us to the Lord more than this kind of passion for him, for his purpose, for his presence, for his victory. Let me conclude with the words of James in verse 9. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now remember here that James has been speaking in this chapter about friendship with the world. And what is the laughter to which he's referring in this verse? Well, it appears to me that the laughter he speaks about here is the laughter of worldly uh, joy and found in the friendship with this world and the satisfaction of our fleshly passions. James is not against joy and laughter. Joy is, in fact, one of the fruit of the Spirit. The world in which we live, however, seeks its fill of pleasure and laughter, and, and they find us in the things that the world has to offer. Now, now, God is not against us enjoying these good things he's given, but many people have, have become so enthralled by the world that they have lost all taste for God. They, they have lived so long in the dark, they cannot appreciate or even understand the light. A number of years ago, I was in Cuba and speaking with a pastor, and he said to me, Wayne, many American pastors come here and they say to us, we admire your faith. You've gone through so much, and yet you have a strong faith. He went on to say, he says, I, I don't see it like this, he said. I look at North American pastors and say, you're the ones to be admired. You have so much, and still 
you have faith. All the material blessings we have bring great joy and laughter to our hearts. But there's a cost. And sometimes the cost is our faith and our relationship with God because we treasure these things more than God himself. Our tables may be full, but our hearts are empty. Our laughter may be loud and strong, but our souls are barren as the desert. Will we allow these temporary pleasures, this temporary laughter to strip us of the true joy of eternal happiness in the presence of God? Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 6. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Our treasure is not in this world. There is something of infinitely greater value that we seek. These 70 to 90 years we spend on this earth are but a drop in the bucket of time. We live for eternity. We prepare even now for eternity. These physical bodies are instruments for the Lord's service. A life lived completely for him on this earth is not a wasted life. What a privilege it is to set our hearts on greater things. We may be considered by many to be wretched and miserable. We may experience grief and mourning on this earth. We may suffer for the cause of our Lord. But what is this compared to what he has promised to all who love and walk with him? Is this your heart today? Does he mean more to you than anything that this world can offer? Be assured that the laughter and joy will come eventually. He will delight to draw near, and he will satisfy you in the midst of your weeping. He will rejoice your mourning heart. His presence will quench your thirsty soul because he delights in us when we delight and long for him.